May 1st, 2011. I was, a, uh, I was finishing up my first year in the seminary. Um, we were about to start finals week. Um, and I remember, uh, so the, the way the seminary kind of works is, um, they're on campus, there are typically about four or five t televisions. Um, typically we don't have a lot of TVs, you don't have one in your own room. There's like a common room, a living room kind of space, um, and that's where you kind of just go and watch football games or whatever. And I remember I was sitting in my dorm room, I was pretending to study, like I was one to do, um, had the door kicked open, and where my room was, the hallway to the living room was right by me. So I remember I was sitting there and I saw a couple of guys walk down the hall, and then I saw a couple of more guys walk down the hall, and, and then as one, another, another group of guys came by, they looked at me, they looked at my room and they saw me and they said, hey, uh, something big's about to happen. And I kind of looked at him and I said, what? And he said, come see. So I get up and I go into the living room. And sure enough, in the room, there were probably about 40 seminarians. So I was expecting that there was like a fight over the TV or something like that. There was an argument. But no, 40 guys, roughly, were all huddled around watching the TV. And the news said there's a, break, a developing story, the president to address the nation. As we were watching and kind of anticipating what was it about, what was it going to be, we, get, we see that there's a headline or a, a, a card that's handed to the anchor. And as he's sitting there, he says, the president will be addressing the nation, Osama bin Laden's been killed. May 1st, 2011. It's about quarter to, quarter to ten at night. And the president was about to address the nation. Obama, uh, president Obama was about to come out. And I remember whenever that announcement came through, and, and the, the, the following press conference, and then the, uh, the discussion in the room itself, where we were, I remember seeing the, the, uh, the, uh, the just vast array of responses to that news that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Some of the guys... In, our, in the seminary, some of the guys in the room um, had family members that were in the military, that had been deployed to Afghanistan, that had either dealt with their own injuries, some had, been, had paid the, 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 the cost of their life, others had friends and, and distant relatives that had done the same. And I remember those guys were excited because he deserved it for what he did. Now, I, by no means do I want to downgrade anything, the evil of, of, of the attacks of 9-11 or what had happened in, in the Middle East during his time, um, but just as something to focus on for us, especially as we listen to this gospel today, I think it's important. Because there were some people in, in the news and, and, and the people celebrating in the streets and all this kind of stuff that was going on in the United States, I think of the big motivation behind it was this idea of revenge. He got what he deserved. He undermined my sense of safety, our sense of security in this country. He got what he deserved. That's contrasted, though, with something else that happened that same day. On May 1st, 2011, about 12 hours before that announcement came out, in Rome, Pope John Paul II 
had been beatified. He became a blessed. He took his first step on his way to sainthood. Today he's St. John Paul II. He's been canonized. But that was the recognition, the first step, that he had a miracle that was accredited to him, that John Paul II was now a blessed. And as I was, as a, as a seminarian who was kind of sitting there thinking, how would I walk with a community who sees this kind of thing? Like, who, who, how would I walk with people who see um, the death of someone as something to celebrate, which is in conflict with, with Scripture? Because God says, we do not rejoice at the destruction of a sinner, but rather that he be converted and live. But I remember sitting there thinking, how do I wrestle with this? And it just happened to be that the same day on the other side of the world, a couple of hours before, a man, John Paul II, had given a beautiful witness of what, it's, what, what it looks like to live today's gospel. You see, in the 80s, John Paul II, when he was first elected pope, was a massive voice against communism. And that really made a lot of people in the world mad. That really was something that, that they did not like, this little Polish pope running his mouth about the communist regimes in the world. So as a way to eliminate him, a hitman was hired, a shot was shot, and it missed John Paul II's widowmaker by about a quarter of an inch. He was rushed to the hospital, they were able to patch him up. He ended up surviving. He ended up living. He lived for another 15, 20 years as the Pope. But when he got out of the hospital, one of the first things he wanted to do was he went to the prison where the gunman was to forgive him. The celebration in the street was, I think, motivated a lot by revenge. And that's a natural thought, and that's a natural thing that somebody might feel. But I look at the, this little Polish pope on the other side of the world who we recognize his sanctity. Is bec- I, I think one of the beautiful things, I don't think it was a coincidence that both of those things happened on that day because there was a, a direct expression of how we're called to live and how we're called to see others. Not through a lens of revenge, but through a lens of God's love a lens of God's mercy. Today's gospel, I'm convinced, is the hardest of every teaching that Jesus puts out there. By far, it is the hardest of all the teachings that Jesus proclaims at any point during His public ministry. We read at the very beginning, To you who hear, I say, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That is the hardest of all of Jesus' teachings. He goes on to say, be merciful just as your Father in heaven, your heavenly Father is merciful. I don't know about you, but when somebody hates me, when somebody wrongs me, it's really, really easy to write them off and to wish them bad. But Jesus is giving us a way that's not motivated by revenge, not motivated by judgment, but instead is motivated by the love of God that we're called to participate in. 
In our first reading today, um, we hear about David and Saul and this conflict that goes on. Now, if you don't know about David and Saul in the, in the, in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a quick little rundown. So the Hebrew people, when they, when they leave from Egypt, they have different leaders that lead them through the desert, bring them to the Promised Land. That's the book of Exodus. Well, as they come to the Promised Land, and as they establish themselves, they cry out to God and say, God, we need a king. We need someone to rule us. We need someone to help give us guidance and lead us. So God bestows upon them a king. He anoints a man a king. And Saul becomes the king of the Jewish people, of the Hebrew people. Well, Saul has his power. Saul has his leadership. He's, got, he's not a terrible leader, not a great leader, but he's just kind of there. He's doing his thing. Well, at one point, he makes a mistake. And when he makes his mistake, a prophet, Samuel, looks at him and says, another king will rise up behind you. Now, if you've ever been in, a, in any kind of corporation, had any kind of job where you are, you are the guy in charge, and then all of a sudden, this young little hotshot gets hired, and they're looking at him, and they're kind of grooming him possibly to take your job and force you out. I don't know. That, that happens in the real world, right? And when that happens, usually there's a little conflict, a little rivalry that goes on between the person with the job and the person that everybody wants to have the job. Well, David, this little shepherd boy, the youngest of Jesse's sons, he's the one that gets anointed as the up-and-coming king. He's the one that gets anointed as the heir apparent, the next in line. He's going to be the one that's going to follow up Saul. Now we know the biggest moment when David's popularity takes off. There's a little rivalry already going on, but the moment whenever David's popularity takes off is whenever he's on the battlefield against Goliath. Because what happens? The Hebrew people are facing the Philistines. And the Philistines were like the, the big boys on the block. They were the ones who were coming to fight. They were coming to take over the Jewish people. And Saul is their leader. And Saul is afraid to go out and fight one-on-one -on -one against Goliath because he's going to lose. And David says, I'll go. So Saul looks at him and says, sure, put on my armor. And David kind of walking like a gingerbread man because it was a little bit too big for him. He kind of bulky. He couldn't really move. So he says, look, I don't need this armor. He throws it aside and he grabs a couple of stones. And we know he has really good aim with a slingshot. Rock to the forehead, kills Goliath, cuts off his head after, and basically looks at him and says, come on. And the Philistines back off. Now, that's the, that's the Old Testament according to Father J.D. I'm going to trademark that just to let you know. But... What ends up happening after that moment, though, where the popularity issue comes in, where the pride of, of Saul comes in, is that whenever David comes back to his people, his people look at him and say, you are the one that should be our king, not Saul. Saul has only killed thousands, but you, David, you're going to kill tens of thousands. You're going to protect us. You're going to be a better leader than Saul ever wished he could be. Why don't we push Saul out and anoint you king now? And Saul does not like that. So there's a conflict. He's trying, now he wants to kill David. David goes into hiding, and that's where we pick up today's first reading. David is hiding out in the desert, and Saul is chasing him with 3,000 troops trying to hunt him. Think about this. I know I've said some stuff that has made a lot of people mad. But I've never had 3,000 troops, 3,000 soldiers looking for blood after me. 
They're out, they're hunting David. And they're taking a rest one night. David and Abishai, they come out. They're walking through the camp. And they come across Saul, who has been chasing David. He's been in rivalry with David. David knows he wants to kill him. And David looks at him. Saul's laying down, and right next to his head is his spear just stuck in the ground. And Abishai says, let me go up and just move the spear afoot. And it's all over. Let me go up and find the one who's hunting you and just eliminate the threat. And it's all over. If David's looking at life through, the rev- through a lens of revenge, go ahead. I'll do it. But instead, David looks at the world, looks at Saul through the lens of God and says, no, he's God's anointed. And Scripture says, the law says, we don't touch God's anointed. That lens makes this scripture make sense for our life. That lens by which we look at the world around us makes this gospel make sense for us. Because John Paul II had every reason not to care and to say, you know what? electrocute the guy he tried to kill me. You know what? Bury him under the prison he tried to kill me. But instead, John Paul II did not see him as a communist, did not see him as a terrorist, did not see him as a hitman, did not see him as a Muslim. Instead, John Paul II's eyes was looking through a lens of the love of his fellow man. He was seeing them as Christ saw him. And that's the only reason why for a a heroic moment, he was able to look at him and say, I'm going to be merciful just as my Heavenly Father is merciful. What is that standard? Be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful. What is that standard? Well, we come into it in in, in about two months at Good Friday. On Palm Sunday and Good Friday, we're going to read about the passion narrative. And what do we hear? That right here, Jesus is being merciful just as His Heavenly Father is merciful. Because the people that are doing this to Him do not deserve mercy. And He didn't deserve what happened to Him. Scourging of the pillar, the people that are beating Him within an inch of His life, they, they they don't... He didn't deserve it. The crowning of thorns... Putting, a, putting a, a thorn that's about three inches, a crown made of thorns that are about three inches long, and shoving them into his skull, he, he didn't deserve it. He did nothing to deserve it. Putting a cross on his back that weighs as much as a tree and making him drag it through the streets, didn't deserve it. Nails in his hands and his feet that were about four inches long, he didn't deserve it. Being mocked, naked, on display for the world to see, Never deserved it. And yet, with all of that, still, with one of his final breaths, what do we hear him say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
can we look at the world around us through the same lens that Jesus looked at the people who were scourging him, at the people who were hurting him, at the people who marched him to his death? Can we look through the lens of love? Because the only way that Jesus can say those words is if he still sees people in the way in which God sees them. As children who have gone astray. About 20 years ago, there was a movie. This is the last thing I'll say. Um, about 20 years ago, there was a movie uh, called Bruce Almighty. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it. Oh well. Um, it's 20 years old. Too bad. Um, but there's a, there's, what, what it is is that there's a guy, uh, he's played by Jim Carrey, his name is Bruce, Bruce Almighty, uh, and, and he, he and God, Morgan Freeman, which that's just perfect casting, right? Um, God, who's Morgan, Fre- Morgan Freeman, who plays God, not God who is Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman, who plays God in this movie, they're having a conversation at the end. Now, Bruce has gone through and basically taken on the powers of God and can make all kinds of things happen and all these good things happen and promotions and winning bets and all this kind of stuff. So he's like making all these things and doing all these things, but he comes to learn a lesson. And at one point during it, he loses his girlfriend. His girlfriend leaves him. And they're standing there at the end of the movie and God looks at Bruce and says, so what do you want? And he says his girlfriend's name. I think it was Grace. He says, uh, Grace. And, and when he looks at him and says, you want her back? And his response is, no. I want her to have somebody that sees her the way that I see her now. Through your eyes. I want her to have somebody who sees her as I see you now. As I see her now. Through your eyes. How do we look at our brothers and sisters? Human beings, but just in our family. Do we look at them as a cheat? Do we look at them as a, as a, as a piece of work? Do we look at them as a hard head? Or do we look at them as, as this? Or do we look at them as their faults? Do we look at... Our world loves to define people by the broken parts of our life. But how do we, as Christians, as Catholics, look at the people in our life? Do we look at them with the eyes of mercy that Jesus has from the cross, that, 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 that today's Scripture encourages us in, the same way that David was able to look at Saul, the same way that John Paul II was able to look at a man who tried to murder him? Or do we look at the world with revenge? Or with spite? Or with anger? Or define somebody because of a political view, or their skin color, or something like that? God calls us to first and foremost have the lens of mercy, a lens of love, and to see our brothers and sisters as first through His eyes. May today as we come to this Mass, the ways in which the the broken lenses, if you will, that we look at the world around us, let's take them off. And before all else, be able to look at our brothers and sisters in a way 
where we see what God sees first. Before, before 7 o'clock Mass this morning, uh, Deacon Tim and I were talking. And as we were talking, he said, he made a comment. He said, uh, he said well, I heard your homily yesterday, 4 o'clock Mass. And then he went to a Mardi Gras parade last night. He said, I had to actively think about what kind of glasses I had on. <laughs> you want practice? Go to a parade in the next two weeks. <laughs> but can we look at our fellow man and not see, according to our own brokenness, our own presuppositions, but instead see them as God does. Love them as God loves. And be merciful to them in the way that our Heavenly Father is merciful.